Welcome to the Evolved Caveman, where men learn to be successful and happy with your host, Dr. John Schinnerer, as he shares the most impactful ideas and practices for you to get the most from your relationships, your work, and from your life. Now here's Dr. John. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Evolved Caveman. This is your host, Dr. John Schinnerer, and the purpose of this podcast is to help men evolve. More specifically, it's to teach men the latest tools, frameworks, and ideas to achieve their potential in relationships, communication, dating, business, leadership, and health. You see, everyone on the planet has a goal of happiness. We try to get there in a variety of ways. Power, wealth, sex, drugs, serving others, and so on. But the common denominator is always happiness. And it's my belief that we cannot be truly happy until we achieve success and contentment both at home and at work. Happiness comes from getting relationships right in four areas. Your relationship with yourself, which means learning tools to turn down the volume on negative thoughts and negative emotions, and tools to turn up the volume on the positive. Second, your relationship with others, learning how to effectively communicate and be in a fulfilling relationship with your significant others, pardon me, with your significant others, friends, and coworkers. Your relationship with work, finding a productive, effective, and meaningful employment. And finally, your relationship with something larger than yourself religion, perhaps the military, perhaps being a doctor with a mission, but some idea that grabs you, that moves you, that is larger than yourself. So in these first couple of episodes, I'm going to share with you pieces of my own story, followed by a new tool that you can use to propel yourself up the path towards greater happiness and success. And as we move forward, I'm going to pull in top experts in a variety of fields to help you learn the necessary skills to become a full-spectrum, fully-evolved man. The Evolved Caveman. So let's get going. When I was growing up, my parents were hard-driving, overachieving. And it led to me picking up those same skills. I became hard-driving and overachieving, largely to get their attention, to make them proud, to make sure that they loved me. So by the time I was a senior in high school, I was doing quite a lot. I was student body president. I was captain of three varsity teams. And I was taking AP classes. And I'm sure from the outside looking in, this looked fantastic. But my experience from the inside out was different. I was stressed a lot of the time. I was anxious. I was depressed some of the time. I was exhausted and I got sick pretty frequently as a result. And this experience started me thinking at the age of 17, what is this success that people are chasing? What is the story we've been sold, this bill of goods? Is it worth it? Does it make sense? 
And I didn't really have any answers at the time, but I started questioning. And, you know, it, it did work. I mean, that path got me into a great college. I went to Pomona College. I studied philosophy. I got to go to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. I studied there for six months. And those were amazing experiences. And then I got into a PhD program in educational psychology at UC Berkeley. Partly I wanted to get into psychology because I knew that the dumbest, most shameful, most embarrassing shit that I'd done in my life happened when my emotional mind was in charge of me. When I was angry, when I was embarrassed, when I was afraid, when I was bored, when I was excited. It was those times when I would look back and go, man, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? When I was calm, cool, and collected, when I was rational, I was good. Nothing negative really happened. It was when I was emotional that the wheels would fall off at times. So I started looking at what are these emotions? Why am I having a hard time managing them? And how do they fit into this bigger picture of success and happiness? Now, about that time when I was a new student in the PhD program at Cal, I had my first panic attack. So understand that my whole class at Cal was five people. So there was no place to hide. And I came into this program knowing very little about psychology. All my classmates had at least a bachelor's in psychology. Some of them had masters from Harvard or Yale. So they had four to six years of psychology. I had about a year and a half. So a lot of times I didn't even know the language they were speaking researchers they were citing, words they were using. And I remember at that new student orientation, the first meeting we had, all the professors were there and some older students were there and my class was there. And we broke up into kind of cocktail chatter. So, you know, mingle amongst yourselves, talk with people. And I found myself in a, in a conversation with a seventh year student. That means this guy had been in a PhD program at UC Berkeley for seven years. The only thing I could think of to say to him was, so what's your dissertation on? And after about five words out of his mouth, I couldn't understand a thing he was saying. And all of a sudden the thoughts started coming. Oh my God, I'm not worthy. I'm not smart enough. I don't belong here. This was a mistake. And it felt like someone had grabbed me by the throat. My throat constricted, my chest tightened, I started to perspire, I couldn't breathe very well, and I thought, holy shit, I got to get out of here. So I excused myself, and I quickly got to the bathroom. And I literally had to take my shirt off and fan it because I was sweating so much. And that was my first experience with a panic attack. I didn't even know what a panic attack was prior to that. I mean, I knew that, you know, I've got a little bit of depression to me and a little bit of anxiety, but that was a new one. So that was one of the things that I had to learn how to deal with. How do you manage anxiety? How do you manage panic attacks? How do you manage those thoughts and feelings of I'm not worthy? So anyway, fast forward, uh, was trained to become a school psychologist. I was working in the Fremont School District. And the best part of my job was meeting with students and counseling them and hearing their stories. Well, a lot of their stories were filled with anger, fear, rage, 
sadness, and rightfully so, they were dealing with some very heavy issues. And I didn't know at the time that emotions are contagious, and no one had ever trained me not to pick up other people's emotions. And I tend to be someone with high empathy, so I, I pick up other people's feelings quite easily. So what happened is I'm seeing these students, they're sharing their story, I'm picking up their emotions, sadness, anger, fear, and it ended up with me getting depressed. And I remember I was about 26 years old, the, the walls of the tunnel were kind of closing in, hope jumped out the window, and, and when you get depressed, inflammation in your body goes up, so any old injuries you have tend to come back. Well, mine is low back pain. So my low back went out, I'm laying on the floor, I'm thinking, okay, this is freaking ridiculous. Like here I am, a psych trained at Cal, and I can't manage my own emotions. If I can't do it, how can I teach them to? So at that point, I made a conscious decision to look for the best scientifically proven tools to manage that darker side of the mind, fear, anger, sadness, guilt, shame. And it worked. I mean, there was a lot of tools that I had after a while to teach to clients. And yet it was only part of the story because that only looked at how do you manage that darker side of the mind. It didn't take into account how do you magnify or turn up the volume on the positive side of things. Well, fast forward, I had my own entrepreneurial venture. I had a company doing pre-employment testing for about seven years. That went well for a while and then burned out uh, when the economy crashed. So I had to reinvent myself. And at that point, I started immersing myself in positive psychology, the scientific study of happiness. This was like manna from heaven. It was amazing. And I read, I don't know, probably around a thousand studies. And then I compulsively started to write this framework for how to coach people towards a successful and happy life. Of course, it was 600 pages, and who the hell's going to read 600 pages in this day and age? But in any case, I had a, an outline, a rough draft for a book. And I went to a Christian businessman's networking breakfast in San Francisco, which is kind of a weird place for me because I consider myself spiritual, but not religious. I believe in a higher power, but I'm, I, I have a resistance to other people telling me how to communicate and what to believe. Um, I'm good up to a point, And then I hit a point where I'm like, I don't agree with that. Um, and then I have trouble. So anyways, that's my own bias. So I'm sitting there. I happen to sit next to a guy who owned a radio station. He was really interested in what I was doing. We met a few times and he said, John, I want to put you on the radio. And I shit my pants because this was a live primetime daily hour long radio show with a huge radio signal that reached 10 million people. Now, I don't know how many were actually listening, but in my mind, I'm thinking 10 million people. So again, the anxiety comes up and says, you can't do this. And I know from having anxiety that the best way to deal with it is to go straight at it. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I was terrible at the beginning. Honestly, it was bad. Um, I couldn't emote. I couldn't relax. I was writing 30 pages of script a day just in case, you know, my mind locked up on me and I had nothing to say. And fortunately, over time, I got better. I eased into it. I learned how to tell a story. I learned how to tell a joke. And then I got to interview some world-class experts, which was incredible. So I stopped that after a year, did about 200 shows, opened up private practice 
in Danville, California. And I wanted to focus on positive psychology, happiness. And I found that there was a pretty lukewarm response. And part of the reason for this is the negativity bias of the mind, that our mind naturally overfocuses on negative things, emotions, thoughts, self-definitions, like I'm an asshole, because that's what's kept us alive for millions of years. So it's not so much the pursuit of happiness that brings people in for assistance, it's the avoidance of pain. Pain is three to four to five times stronger than pleasure. So a psychiatrist friend of mine said, well, what we really need in this area is someone to focus on anger management. All right, cool, I can do that. So I combined anger management with positive psychology, and then things started to really take off. And this was about 15, 16 years ago. Now, I've been a geek most of my life, in the best sense of the word. I've been programming computers since I was 12, so I can you know, throw up blog sites and websites and you name it, I can pretty well do it. And I took a course a long time ago on how to monetize your knowledge for the web. And I thought, well, heck, I can do that. Like, I'll do an anger management class for men. So I set out creating this 15-hour video course, and I got it all together. I threw it up online. A couple of things happened that were interesting. One is I immediately started getting hundreds of emails from angry women all around the world. Hey, buddy, we're pissed off too. What about us? I was like, oh, like, I didn't know. It's not about you. It's not personal. They told me to find a niche. So in any case, I changed it, made it gender neutral for everyone. Didn't realize there was that many angry women. But in fact, there's about 50-50 split between anger and uh, men and women that are angry. The other thing that happened, which was pretty amazing, is I got this email. um, And it it said, Dear Dr. Schinner, been in prison 27 years, been addicted to meth and PCP for as long, um, turned my life around six years ago, no longer want to be the man I once was. Thank you for the free anger management courses. Um, keep up the good work because I, I offer free courses and then I upsell to a full paid course. So I don't know who this guy is. So I just type an email back. Hey, good job turning your life around. Keep up the good work. Thanks, John. Fired off. I remember this was interesting. It was a Friday morning. I fired off the email. I go see a client. I come back to my email an hour later and there's a response. And I'm thinking, who is this guy that's in prison, but has email access? He says, dear John, this isn't my real name. My handlers won't let me use my real name. Check out the books, the black hand and urban street terrorism. That's me. Once you do a little research, I'm sure you'll understand why I can't use my real name. And I thought, wow, this guy's quite good. Now I'm hooked. I'm curious. And so I went and checked out the book, The Black Hand. And it was about Rene Boxer Enriquez, who turned out to be one of the heads of the Mexican mafia. Um, And he needed help with anger management. Um, So I got to do some work with him for a little bit, which was fascinating. And the other thing that happened as a result of having this anger management website was Pixar called me up many years ago. And I got a call from an executive assistant and she said, Hey, can you talk to a producer here at Pixar? And I was confused. I was like, what? I said, yeah, sure. And Jonas Rivera gets on the the phone. He says, Hey, this is Jonas Rivera. Like I produced this movie called up. Maybe you've heard of it. I'm like, yeah, I think I own it. I was trying to be cool. I knew I owned it. 
He goes, oh, great. He said, me and Pete Doctor, Pete directed up. We're working on a new movie. We're wondering if you can come down and kick some ideas around and brainstorm with us. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, I think I can fit that in my calendar. Trying to be kind of cool, not succeeding. Um, in any case, I got to go down there and meet with them, their creative team, to help them do foundational research on anger for the movie Inside Out. So that was absolutely thrilling. And now what I do is I coach men. I coach executives. I co coach men in relationship. I'm trying to help men evolve in a variety of ways. And I'll get more into this in the next podcast about why that is and how I do it. But let me, let me wrap up today with just explaining a, a really simple framework that's one of the ways that I start off each session with new clients. So I want you to imagine a three by two grid where you've got on the top row, you've got three spots where you've got positive past, positive present, positive future. And down below that, you've got negative past, negative present, negative future. Now, this is a really simple framework to overlay on your mind to ask, where's my mind trying to take me? What is it trying to do right now? Typically, when clients first come in, they're spending some time in a negative present, which is a pessimistic interpretation of the present moment or the people that you're with. And I got to tell you that you can look for and find the worst in any situation or any person, and it's there. It all depends on the framework or the lens that you're using to look at the situation or the person. And it's funny to me because in talking with pessimists over 20 years, they all say the same thing. I'm not pessimistic. I'm realistic. And the funny thing is they're absolutely right. Pessimists actually see the objective world a little bit more accurately than optimists. But that accuracy comes at a price. And the price is greater misery. So there's a choice that you have here. You can be pessimistic, more accurate, and more miserable, or you can learn to be more realistically optimistic and be happier and sacrifice a little bit of accuracy. To me, there's no choice, but full disclosure, I have to let you know there is a choice. So then the mind takes us kind of against our will to the negative past bad shit that happened to you in the past, things that shouldn't have happened, tragedies, mistakes you made. And we know that the more you dwell in the negative past, the more likely you are to be depressed. That's the area of sadness and regret. Then the mind takes us against our will to the negative future. This is worrying about things that, bad things that might happen down the road. And this is the area of stress, anxiety, dread, and worry. And to me, all these are wasted energy. They are a misuse of imagination. And so to the extent that we can get a handle on our mind and train it to spend less time on the bottom half of that three by two grid and more time on the upper half, we're going to necessarily be happier. So we move up to the upper half. Let's look at the positive past. The positive past is simply going back to revisit memories that you have that are pleasant or relaxing or joyous or awe-inspiring or filled with love or relaxing. And we all have these. We just don't typically call them to mind consciously and mindfully when we need them. And so the exercise here that you can practice is the mental scrapbook exercise. And the way you do that is come up with three positive memories, ones that evoke different positive emotions, ideally, 
you know, maybe it's a, a great win in a sporting event if you're competitive. Maybe it's a great win in business. Maybe it's a great family vacation. Maybe it's coming face to face with a sea turtle while snorkeling. But the idea is when your mood is down a little bit, you can consciously call one of these or two of these or three of these to mind to slowly raise your mood up slightly. Now, the second one is positive present. And this is training yourself to be more realistically optimistic, to look for the best in a situation, to look for the best in people, but also having a certain way to interpret good events and bad events. And that's a whole hour-long conversation that I will try and bring in down the road. And then finally is the positive future. And the positive future is where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What mission would you like to pursue? And the exercise there is the best possible you. And the idea is picture yourself out five years from now. Assume everything has gone as well as it possibly could between now and then. Now, given those conditions, where would you be in five years? What job would you be working at? Would you be retired? Who would you be hanging out with? What would be your primary relationship? Would you have a girlfriend? Would you have a wife? Where would you be living? House? Apartment? What state? By the beach? What country? How many friends would you have? What kind of car would you drive? What would you do on your free time? How much would you enjoy your work? How meaningful would you find your work? And the idea is that by focusing more of your time and energy on this picture, you increase your probability that you will actually wind up there. And the idea is to journal about this future self, this future picture, two to three times a week. And in my experience, what happens is you plant these seeds in your unconscious mind, and your unconscious mind actually has the capability to see that picture and work its way backwards to fill in the steps to help you get there on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's it for the first episode of the Evolved Caveman. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope I've given you some tools that can be used to further your life, your happiness, your success. Tune in for the next episode. And this is Dr. John Schinner with the Evolved Caveman signing out. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 